You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You are listening to Confidential Brief live in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM and broadcasting worldwide on highfm.com. I'm joined today by Devotion Mudli Vera. She is the regional committee member of the Institute of Commercial Forensic Practitioners, an advocate for preventing fraud and corruption at the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, an international ambassador for conduct change, and an attorney. Um, Devotion, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chad. Thank you for being here today. So, Devotion, I, I follow you religiously along with a lot of other um, independent fraud investigators and investigation practitioners, especially on LinkedIn. And I've taken a, an, a, an interest in what you've posted of late. It really gets to the crux of what we're experiencing in South Africa. And there's a lot of inherent and institutionalized problems in South Africa. And the other day you were kind enough to make a post where you actually listed some of the issues that, that are facing South Africa. So a little bit later in the show, I'd like to touch on those issues that you highlighted, those 10 highlights. But before we get to that, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you became involved in this fight against fraud and corruption. Okay, I am a qualified forensic investigator, so I have been experienced in investigations for 19 years of my life. However, I've also worked in the government sphere for 13 years of my life, and I've noted that there have been so much of rampant fraud and corruption within the public sector and within the private sector, and I felt that I needed to be vocal and to fight or be a person to fight against fraud and corruption. And I feel that education needs to be made available to individuals, to employees, to the public, so that they know if they experience any sort of uh, issues with fraud and corruption, that they know how to deal with the situations. So I have been very vocal on LinkedIn, on uh, social media platforms to educate people and to basically tell individuals that you have rights as an individual and if there is fraud and corruption that you have seen or have experienced in an organization, there are measures or protocols that you can follow. Is fraud and corruption institutionalized in the South African way of doing things? Yes, um, you know, there is a system. There's a system that South Africans use in, in institutions where you use banks to aid and abet money laundering. There are auditors and accountants and investigators who write uh, unethical reports against innocent people. You get situations where HR individuals who are supposed to protect the interests of employees uh, do not actually protect the interests of the employees, but are always towards the employer side. Then you also get laws and regulations that really do not assist us, uh, even in the sphere of protected disclosures, where you have whistleblowers who are victimized for blowing the whistle. So it's basically very orchestrated. It's very, uh, it's played out very well in organizations. And you'll find that individuals in these organizations really do get away with what they are currently doing because of non-disclosure agreements that individuals have to sign off to suppress wrongdoing. So I, I'm, I actually agree that there are systems and processes that are abused internally that really has made South Africa 
the way it is currently. And it actually shockens me that we have professionals in South Africa who have studied so many years in, in particular uh, professions. However, their ethics are not in line, the duty or the line of duty. Devotion has just pointed out to us that some of the very people that we are dependent on to report and investigate on fraud and corrupt matters may themselves be enabling this. We're going to touch a little bit more on this when we come back after the break. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Chatting today to Devosa Mudliviera about institutionalized fraud and corruption in South Africa. Before we went to break, Devotion touched on something which may come as a surprise to some and may not to others, and that's the fact that there are certain people who are counted upon to actually identify, investigate, and report fraud who may themselves either be complicit in it or enabling it. And we've seen this historically with some of the big audit firms. Devotion, what is your take? Why do you believe that there are actual people who should be investigating who are complicit in this fraud and corruption. Chad, you know, as an investigator and auditor, you need to be independent. You need to be ethical and you need to ensure that when you write a report, you need to be ethical in writing that report. However, when you are working for an organization or you are uh, writing a report for a client, which could be an outside organization, auditors and investigators are afraid, afraid that they will lose their jobs through dismissals, or they will lose their life. And it becomes a, a scary situation. You are in a catch-22 situation. And I feel that auditors and investigators, because they have been victimized by their uh, employers or organization or clients, um, they tend to go towards the employers and write unethical reports instead of facing up and stating that, you know, they should do the right and report ethically in these reports. We have seen a number of cases in state capture. We've seen it in the Open Secrets report, and we have actually seen it in social media, that auditors and accountants and investigators are enablers of state capture because they were afraid, afraid to speak out. And I think that is the, the, the most important aspect of how state capture occurred. It's because if you speak out, you are victimized or you're retaliated against. And you will lose your job. And also, it means an end to your career. So, Devotion, you gave a list a week ago. Um, you entitled it, How Did South Africa End Up in the State of Rampant Fraud and Corruption at All Levels of the Country? The very first point you make is banks aiding and abetting in money laundering. So, we know that some of the top banks in South Africa have been named in aiding and abetting um, the Guptas, and we saw this in the in the enablers report by Open Secrets. Why are we not seeing action taken against those banks? There's lack of consequence management, and also um, the oversight bodies who were supposed to play an oversight role on banks or on professional bodies or on um, auditors and accountants are lacking in in taking action. Um, the, yesterday afternoon, I heard uh, Wiseman and Cooler, Professor Wiseman and Cooler, speak about the auditing profession being in a crisis. And one of the points that he mentioned was that why did Steinhoff, uh, Mark Juster, why was he not removed from the professional body? 
It's simple. The answer is simple. It's because no one wants to take accountability and actually action or deal with these particular instances. And uh, I think we, we lack totally in, in South Africa, we lack with, when it comes to consequence management. And we really need to stand up to this and make sure that the law is applied to everyone equally. You talk about healthcare doctors who are racially profiled so as to suppress internal corruption. What do you mean by that? Yes, um, the, there was a report out um, about a month ago where healthcare professionals were racially profiled by three medical schemes, which was GEMS, uh, Deloitte, uh, sorry, not Deloitte, uh, it was GEMS and Discovery and Med Scheme. And if you find um, the report basically highlights that there were a number of internal irregularities that were not picked up in order for these medical schemes to pick up on fraud and corruption or actually uh, racially profile these individuals. So in, in making that point, it's basically stating that in order for you to suppress fraud and corruption internally, uh, these these medical schemes did not realize that they were directly racially profiling innocent doctors in the medical scheme. So I read the report and it was fascinating because although the medical schemes have come out and denied it, there was a marked increase in investigations against medical practitioners of color compared to medical practitioners that were white. And it seemed as if this was a means to an end to, to be able to shift blame and accountability towards specific racial groupings rather than making any of these, um, these, these investigations open to look at all races across the board that are employed within their professions. You then go on to talk about auditors, accountants, and investigators that report on frivolous claims for the employer rather than being independent. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself there, when you're talking about frivolous claims, they are reporting on issues that may be of consequence internally, but they're using this as a means to gloss over the bigger issues of fraud and corruption. Is my take correct on that? Yes, it's tot- I'm, you are totally correct on that. But also, um, you know, with the, with the State Capture Commission and the number of fraud and corruption that occurred, you'll find that clients will, will basically instigate uh, a particular investigation to, uh, against an innocent person. For example, a whistleblower, in order to find frivolous allegations against this individual. And uh, we've seen it. We've seen it in a number of instances, such as Bianca Goodson, uh, Cynthia Stimple. You, you name the, the list is long. Where investigators were involved in writing investigation reports against these innocent parties to avoid consequences on these executives within the organization. So it's, it's almost like deflecting from what the case is to, to draw attention to something else. And we've seen something similar happen at Eskom of late where the current CEO, in the midst of an investigation and in, in the midst of bringing to light certain instances, has now been accused of racism, and everything is now centered around these allegations of him being racist rather than the massive corruption that he is part of the investigation. 
where he's trying to initiate investigations. Correct. I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, you know, um, it, the ESCOM CEO had a duty to ensure that ESCOM is cleaned up from any instances of fraud and corruption. And uh, due to the fact that there were a number of investigations within ESCOM, the individuals who are involved in these investigations are now turning their fingers onto the, uh, the CEO and stating that he's racially uh, profiling them, which is incorrect. In fact, uh, the board, although they instituted investigation on the racial uh, instances, uh, there should be a, a bigger investigation to find out exactly what is the depth of fraud and corruption in ESCOM. It's, it's actually quite bizarre that the race card gets played at such an important time in our history where we're hearing testimony of how Eskom was looted and how we as the people are suffering daily through the impact of load shedding. And it doesn't just impact on us personally, it impacts on the economy, it impacts on industry, it impacts on manufacturing. And now everything seems to be placed in abeyance at Eskom while they now rather investigate allegations of racism rather than the billions of rands that have been siphoned. You go into chat in this, in this 10 points about professional bodies' lack of an oversight role and places allegiance to employers instead of its members. And I think you raised the point earlier about Marcus Uester and Steinhoff and Syke. Do we see this with other organizations as well where they would prefer to, to keep something quiet than to take action against members? Yes, it's it's basically the, I mean, if you look at point two, where uh, the healthcare industry or healthcare association, uh, there was there were a number of complaints against the, the medical schemes, but there was no action taken on their members. And um, it's throughout, it's basically a, it's not unique. It's happening throughout all professional institutions. Um, it's not only the accounting and auditing bodies, it's also happening in the law profession. The law profession is has a number of issues with unethical lawyers and, and advocates who have played a role in providing misrepresented legal opinions to their clients in order to remove certain individuals in organizations. You talk about lawyers not abiding and appreciating the rule of law. We've seen this with lawyers, we've seen this with accountants, we've seen this with other people where there is a higher sense of um, responsibility expected from them in terms of their accountability and transparency. We've seen lawyers that have abused trust accounts, we've seen lawyers that have received the proceeds of crime, we've seen accountants themselves who are complicit in, in frauds. But you go on to say that there are even judges who have been bribed to rule for the corrupt. Now, this is a very controversial statement to make, especially in view of where we stand in South Africa. We want to have faith that we have a judicial process. We want to have faith that there's a functioning judiciary. What do you think is happening in respect of the allegations of judges being corrupt? Well, I, at the moment, I do not feel that there's no any action taken on judges. Um, I was reading an article by Judges Matter where uh, Judges Matter mentioned that um, these are just frivolous allegations against the judges. And But why not investigate these allegations? Why indicate that there's, it's frivolous? 
um, show show us show the public that you have investigated these matters there's transparency in these processes and we we as a public are then able to say okay you have followed due processes and um, there were consequences consequence management in this regard and also if there was there were investigations it, there's frivolous allegations and it stops there. But we have not seen that. We have not seen that with, with Judge Lope, for instance. Uh, he's suspended, but he was sitting in a case with um, Bongo. You know, uh, So it raises a number of issues, uh, and it's very controversial, where what exactly is happening in the judicial system at the moment? Because I believe, it's my opinion, that it's a broken state at the moment. We do not have proper laws and regulations. We do not have a proper judicial system to actually protect the citizens of South Africa. Devosha, it's, it's a very scary state of affairs when one becomes so reliant on the judiciary to act impartially and in the interests of the state and of the citizens and you find out that these allegations haven't been investigated correctly and perhaps the JSC is falling short in terms of its obligations to the citizens at large. What I want to touch on a little bit later in the show is the law enforcement agencies and how they are, in some instances, working hand-in-glove with corrupt parties. We've seen the capture, not just of state institutions where there's money available, but also those institutions that are responsible for investigating certain instances. But before we get there, I want to touch on what you said about unions working hand-in-hand with employers instead of protecting the members' interests and how this can be tantamount to fraud and corruption. Yes. um, You know, unions, we're supposed to protect the interests of their members. So you get uh, the Public Service Commission, uh, Public Service Association, uh, NIAO, the the, uh, list goes on. However, you'll notice that there will be instances where unions will fight a particular case in, uh, for, the emplo- for the employees. And at a certain stage, it stops. And then you, find, then you wonder what really happened during the negotiation stages or the collective agreement stages. And then you find out later on that the union members somehow were promoted within organizations or they were given a, um, a underhanded contract of, of funds given to them. So, so in, in that regard, I basically am stating that, you know, unions, um, they are really not there to protect the interests of their members. They are for themselves. They, they basically protect the interests of themselves in order for them to be positioned in organizations. And that's exactly where the fraud and corruption occurs because it becomes nepotism, it becomes issues of uh, irregular payments, performance bonuses issues, uh, retaliation and victimization of individuals. We're chatting today to Devotion Mudli Vera about institutionalized issues of fraud and corruption in South Africa. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting to Devotion Mudli Vera, and it's been a fascinating conversation. We're chatting about institutionalized fraud and corruption in South Africa. And I, I, I mentioned that I'm keeping for the end of the show the most important aspect that's impacting on South Africa as a whole, and that is our law enforcement and prosecutorial bodies that may themselves be complicit 
or enable fraud and corruption to take place. That's a very serious indictment on our law enforcement devotion. What makes you think that this is so prevalent? And, and, and I don't say that in a, in a frivolous way because we've seen what's happened with crime intelligence. We've seen what's happened with the Hawks. We've seen what's happened with national commissioners being suspended. And currently there's issues between the minister of police, the commissioner of police, as well as the head of crime intelligence. But how prevalent do you believe this collusion of sorts is between law enforcement and criminals? Um, I actually experienced a law enforcement agency uh, in conflict with a conflict of interest with the the employer. And um, I basically noted that in order for the the investigation to actually occur by the law enforcement agency, there were a number of delays by the investigators in the law enforcement agencies. There, were, there was actually a lot of evidence in order to, to jail these individuals, but the law enforcement agency has been dragging this case for over three years. And I, I found this quite strange because, actually not strange, I, I knew that this would occur, is that um, you find that the law enforcement agencies or investigators are also in conflict with a number of organizations out there. And because of the new leadership at the NPA, you you still have individuals within the NPA that are from the old era, where people have been involved in state capture who would like to protect the interests of state capture, of the issues of state capture. Um, so, so in actually addressing point 10, where I raise the issue of law enforcement agencies, the Prevention of Combating of Corrupt Activities Act basically gives authorities a duty, a legal duty to report this matters to the law enforcement agencies. You will find that employers will report these matters to the law enforcement agencies because they would want to comply with the PECA. However, they know that if there are any underhandedness agreements between the law enforcement agencies and the employer, that there will be delays with consequence management of these individuals. I have seen this strategically played out with the employer and law enforcement, and I've seen that um, whenever a particular fraud and corrupt activity comes out into the social media, it's very easy for employer to say, yes, we have reported the matter to the law enforcement agency, but what has the law enforcement agencies done about it? So you talk about HR employees suspending and disciplining innocent employees, and you've spoken now about the fact that there are reports that are made by companies in terms of Section 34 of PRECA, and that this is normally based on information provided by whistleblowers. But conversely, those whistleblowers then get punished. Why are we seeing a systematic approach to punishing whistleblowers from coming forward in South Africa? The Protected Disclosures Act is basically a very it's – it's a brilliant piece of legislation. Uh, however, enforcement of the Protected Disclosures Act is very poor. I mean, how many individuals know the contents of the Protected Disclosures Act? 
do people actually know their rights and obligations that an employer should not retaliate against an employee by suspending or demoting or disciplining these individuals? So, you know, it, it basically gives a sense of employers making or uh, allowing whistleblowers to be afraid to blow the whistle. And you, uh, in the beginning of the show, you mentioned that one of the witnesses was killed. And it's, it's, basically, uh, it's, a, it's, it's basically stating that, you know what, if you speak out, you will suffer the consequences. No matter what, you will suffer the consequences for speaking out. You will either be killed, you will either lose your job, or you will basically be drained of everything that you have if you speak out. So Zondo had called on uh, a number of individuals, the public, to, to provide submissions on the Protected Disclosures Act and their experiences in protecting the interests of whistleblowers. And it gives us an opportunity, all of us, citizens of South Africa, to write to Zondo and to highlight to Zondo that we are afraid, as employees, we are afraid to speak out. We, we know that we'll lose our jobs. So, so basically, it's, it's, it's a call. It's a call that we are in dire need for a particular change. And these laws that are put forward are really not addressing the key issues. It's protection of whistleblowers, protection and of, of speaking out, and also protection in any level of, your, of the organization, whether you are an investigator, you're an auditor, you're a lawyer, uh, you're a bank official, you should be protected if you find out that there is fraud and corruption and you are allowed to speak out. So, Devotion, my last question to you today. In the short term, can anything be done to try turn the corner in respect of the fraud and corruption that has become a virtual epidemic in South Africa? Yeah, this is a, it's actually a very difficult question. But I believe that the more people you educate, for example, I have been advocating that individuals who find fraud and corruption in organizations should not sign off on non-disclosure agreements, even if they are coerced into disciplinary processes. Um, it's, it's, it's something that people need to ensure, know that a non-disclosure agreement is illegal if you are suppressing fraud and corruption within an organization. That is one short-term solution. The second short-term solution would be that the Department of Justice and the Department of Labor should ensure that there are processes in place to avoid situations of retaliation against their employers and that the Protected Disclosures Act, as it is currently, should be enforced. And commissioners and judges in, in the CCMA and labor courts should be made aware of the labor, of these labor laws and these protected disclosures laws so that if individuals are victimized, if they are dismissed, these judges and these commissioners understand the context of, of what really is happening in, in the country, in the country south, in, in the country at the moment. So I think that would be the two short-term goals. However, we, we, this, this whole issue of fraud and corruption will take years. 
it, uh, I'm waiting anxiously for the Zondo Commission report, which I hope will have some recommendations for South Africa to move forward. Uh, however, there will also be some limitations in the recommendation. Devosha Mudli Vera, you are indeed a specialist in this particular field. We appreciate your insight today. I am going to be uploading those 10 valid points that you made onto the Confidential Brief Radio Show page. And for those that enjoyed today's show, there will be a podcast uploaded with the recording of today's show within the next 24 hours, and there will be a repeat during the course of the week. We are reporting remotely, so there may have been technical issues. If you did experience any technical issues, we do apologize, but we take COVID exceptionally seriously. Devotion, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Chad. Chad, I had a wonderful time. Uh, I'm very passionate about this, and I believe that uh, together we can fight this. We can definitely hear your passion, and we're definitely going to be having a follow-up conversation in the coming months. And we hope to see um, implementations made from the recommendations, whatever those recommendations may be, that come out of the Zondo Commission. We hope to see the idea of the NPA um, taking the necessary action. So once again, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, chatting to Stephen Tim, the author of the book At Any Cost where he breaks down a South African entrepreneur's case in America where he was charged with fraudulent activity with the setting up of an online business and, of course, the involvement in the blockchain. So that will be Stephen Tim next week at any cost. Today we're in conversation with Devosha Budliviera and a recording of the conversation will be uploaded shortly. Thank you so much for joining Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas.